Welcome back to Mike and Maurice's Mind Escape. Let us help you escape your mind. Alright folks, welcome back to Mike and Maurice's Mind Escape. We have episode number 117 today. Uh, we have Joe Moore from Psychedelics Today back on for part two. And um, yeah, we're going to be discussing some of the latest uh, research and developments in the psychedelic field. And um, you can check out his information down below. I have the links. Uh, check out his YouTube channel and subscribe. Check out our YouTube channel and subscribe. Uh, you can also check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash Mike and Maurice. I uh, just put a new video up there with Tom Lane um, on Maria Sabina and Sacred Mushroom Rituals. And uh, yeah, thanks for joining us. What's going on, Joe? How are you? <laughs> I'm doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. It's, it's nice to follow up uh, after Tom Lane. Tom oh, Lane's yeah. a super interesting guy. I think I bumped into him in 2017 in Oakland. He was a really interesting character. Um, yeah, he's so got a wealth of knowledge, that guy. Oh man, yeah, I'm sure he could talk for years. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So we had you on before. Um, we talked a little bit, you know, on psychedelics, a little bit of fish, a little bit of kind of everything. Um, but why don't you tell the listeners who are just joining, maybe they didn't listen to the first episode, uh, what psychedelics today is, what you guys do, and uh, maybe where it's going. Great. So we started four years ago exclusively as a podcast and decided to expand into kind of a bigger media <clears throat> and education company. So we're, we've got like a pretty big Facebook presence now, Instagram presence. We have a lot of community on both of those spots and um, our Patreon's been pretty cool. Um, but largely our focus has been serving clinicians and therapists who want to get into the psychedelic space somehow. It's a really difficult field to to kind of get and understand and then figuring out how to get a foothold is even more challenging. Like, okay, now I know all this stuff. Where do I get a job? So we're trying to address a lot of those issues, um, head on through educating doctors and therapists. And that's really been our main focus. Um, we've done some overseas legal, uh, therapy with folks and breath work is a really big component of what we do as well. Um, specifically in the lineage of Groff's holotropic breath work. Um, so we do a lot of workshops like that and yeah, um, it's essentially what we're up to about, about ready to offer CEUs for, um, therapists and doctors, nurses, et cetera. Absolutely. Um, I, I go through CBT myself cause I have OCD. So, uh, I was speaking with it, you know, about it with my therapist and stuff and it really intrigued him as where, you know, he hasn't really dabbled in that before, but the idea mm -hmm. of it and, um, the, the way that it's helped so many people, whether it be psilocybin and depression and anxiety or MDMA with PTSD, like those kinds of things, um, I think are catching the attention of a lot of, you know, just purely academic psychologists, psychiatrists that maybe uh, wouldn't have thought about it before. So I think that all this press and all these articles and all the stuff that's been going on, I think definitely has contributed to that. 100%, yeah. And the fact that people <clears throat> can just sign up for some of our free classes or listen to us on our podcast first and then decide if they want to enroll in one of our classes, 
like is is mind blowing. They don't need to travel anywhere. Like the some of the programs are really big in terms of like uh, travel expenses. And as of right now, we have like you know zero mm-hmm. um, travel expenses built into ours. That said, it's certainly not as comprehensive as some of the others. So I'm trying to figure out how to break down barriers to get more people in and more people educated. For sure, and I think that's great. I think that you see a whole wide range of people dabbling in this category. You know, we tackle it from more of like an ancient perspective, an occult perspective, esoteric style stuff. But um, I also love the science of it. And I think that the more people you get engaged with the science of it, the wider uh, audience you'll reach. And I think the the better um, the movement will become for people to kind of get it across that, hey, this is this should be another option. You know, allow the other stuff. If people are happy with what they're doing now, great. But it's always great to have another uh, tool at your disposal. So, um, what do you think is the future of this? And and right now, obviously, everything's kind of been on hold as society goes through this uh, this serious stuff going on out there. But in terms of what do you see, the smoke clears and everything's all good. Where do you see this all going? I think MDMA and psilocybin will be prescribable pretty soon. Um, I, I've heard some optimistic takes like end of 2020, but I've also heard some more pessimistic ones like mid-2022. Um, two different organizations are working on those. Um, I think medicalization like this is just kind of a stopgap um, baby step in a way. Like let's get um, – you know, this stuff kind of more accepted in the medical framework, and then we can figure out how can we work towards legalization. And that's kind of my vision. So if the medical establishment keeps a real tight lock on these drugs, I think it's going to prohibit a lot of people from getting access. So really legalization um, is where it's at. Um, So you could buy this, you know, LSD or mushrooms at Walmart or the gas station, you know, or maybe it's like the Colorado model where you have to go get a card and, and go into the store. Um, that's really what I would prefer to see. <clears throat> um, but you know, a lot of people see problems with that. I, I think putting people in jail is the biggest problem. So anything to fight that is, is worth it. Have, do you, has numbers wise, do you think that there's been, um, since decriminalization, was it Oakland and, um, uh, Denver first, yeah. Oakland, Santa Cruz, a bunch of other places now, I think. Is that just psilocybin? No, I think um, Denver all- was psilocybin only. Yeah, Oakland was all psychedelic plants. Oh. Um, essentially the same thing with Santa Cruz as well. So LSD is still out. Um, I know Chicago; they were working on trying to start pushing the envelope on that as well. Um, yeah, I've yeah. seen some 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 insane numbers uh, in regards to dealing with opiate addiction, and those numbers just don't lie i i think it's quite foolish that i mean it's just it's the government trying to control everything trying to squeeze as much dime out of it as you can last time did we talk at all about um opiate harm reduction and addiction yeah a little bit like, i think we talked about and stuff yeah like ibogaine and um uh as far as i mean I, i've even seen it like four years ago when i drive back and forth uh to Chicago to Detroit you'd hear ads on the radio once you got into Michigan hey are you on opioids do you want to get off opioids you know they're pushing the whole medical marijuana and cannabis thing and now it's legal there obviously it's legal here in Chicago too um, recreationally but um, 
do you think that maybe the the marijuana movement obviously laid the groundwork for some of the psychedelic uh, uh, initiatives that are going on? Totally, absolutely. Like cannabis really was a wedge issue that so many baby boomers <clears throat> never thought they would see the day where you could buy cannabis at a store. Um, right. And this just blew their socks off that people that care about an issue can actually make a difference if they organize appropriately. Um, especially intelligently against, against an establishment that certainly doesn't seem like they want it. And mm. psychedelics very similarly, like we're, you know, I, I looked up, I forget what I was reading. Um, this really great book on nonviolent social revolutions. And there was a lot of stuff about like the gay rights movement and during the AIDS crisis, we kind of forget how horrifying like the AIDS crisis was in terms of deaths. And a lot mm -hmm. of it was just heartless shit talking from politicians and, um, you know, religious leaders, like you're going to hell anyway, so you should probably die in the most brutal, painful way possible, which is AIDS with no treatment. And you can't have your partner in the hospital room while you're dying, which is super fucked up. So like, yeah. you know, looks kind of genocidal to me. And we could apply lessons from that to the drug war now, um, where tens of thousands of people are going to jail on a regular basis for nonviolent drug offenses. And it just exacerbates problems and they stick around for a long time. So the opiate crisis thing I wanted to talk about was Switzerland and or Portugal. Switzerland we, made heroin we, we free did. and legal. Yeah, we okay. did. We did talk about this last time and it was interesting. Go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off. but Yeah, I... no worries. No ODs whatsoever. Like and near zero HIV transmission. Very similarly in Portugal, um, I don't think they're giving out free prescription grade heroin, but they are. They have decriminalized all drugs and are prioritizing treatment over, you know, prosecution, crime, uh, like active drug war stuff, which is huge. And they also have a similarly low overdose rate and um, HIV transmission rate to Portugal. So you know that's kind of like my basic argument around those things and us barely even offering naloxone test kits or naloxone kits or fentanyl test strips so you could find out if there's fentanyl in your heroin or just regular drugs. Like uh -huh. a $2 test strip is way cheaper than a $50,000 ambulance body pickup in the middle of New York or something, right? Mm. Like if we just look at the numbers and go, okay, there's a smart tactical way to break this down so we're helping our population the most. And ideology of drugs being evil, like drugs equal the devil, is not helpful. Um, a lot of people want to differentiate psychedelics yeah. and other drugs. I prefer not to do that. Yeah, that's interesting. <clears throat> I know Hamilton Morris from Hamilton's Pharmacopoeia, same thing. He's pretty avidly against any um, making any drug illegal because of the possible medical benefits sometime in the future when we figure more stuff out or whatever the case may be. I have a question, though, because... Look, growing up, Maurice and I, you know, we dabbled in psychedelics in high school and um, before it was even this big thing, we were actually kind of like the outsiders in a way. You know, we were listening to Fish, we were in our own band, you know, we were doing lots of stuff. Um, but we always said, we're not going to do crack, we're not going to do heroin, we're not going to do meth, you know, pot, mushrooms, that kind of thing. Okay. Other things, not so much. And we, we didn't like demonize it in our, I don't. And From I'm not, the earth, brother. I'm, I'm speaking for Maurice on this, but we never looked at it like, oh, um, that's terrible. Just that like, I don't want to get involved with that because obviously it leads to not good things. So um, do you think, what part, 
is the responsibility of the person and then what part of it is the responsibility of society um, in the sense that we have control over our, our own actions to a certain degree and some people might be in tougher positions than others, um, whether it be like loss of tons of family and not having anybody or mental illness or, I mean, I have mm-hmm. mental illness. I'm fortunate enough to have, you know, good people around me, but what part of that is the 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 on the onus of the person and what part of it is you know on society well prohibition has never worked prohibition is the source of all drug harm in my opinion the majority of drug harm we can look at 1920s like alcohol prohibition or whenever that was um and people were still drinking drugs drugs found a way to these people Mm -hmm. um and to the point where the government was actually poisoning alcohol and killing people on purpose to convince them not to drink alcohol. Um, pretty well documented in history. Um, and people were and, also doing stupid shit too, to cut it with weird things. And I mean, I've read stories too, where it's, it, it's part of what you're saying and part of people making their own bathtub gin and messing up or whatever the case may be. Yeah, totally. It's because of prohibition. They had to do that stuff and they didn't have appropriate facilities. Um, like mm-hmm. liquor can be pretty cheap. Vodka can be really cheap if you have an appropriate facility. It's mm-hmm. like what's what's cheaper to produce than that, you know? Um, so, you know, fast forward to today where people are cutting fentanyl into heroin on purpose where, um, you know, people want more of a kick than straight heroin after they've been using for a while. It's just not as intense. So they want to like up that threshold. Um that said, if there was prescription grade heroin available, people would probably choose to use that instead of, you know, street heroin that who knows what it is. Um, So what is the role of society versus the role of the individual? Like I'm, I fall in this camp of like personal liberty being really important per your, your own um, decisions, your own adult decisions that shouldn't harm other people should be yours to make. Um, like as long as you're not like, you know, I don't know. What's the example here? No, like, as, as, as long as you're not punch being... somebody. That's very yeah, different. Reckless, weed, reckless like, behavior. <clears throat> right. Um, and alcohol seems to be the drug that causes the most social harm right. uh, out of all of them. And sure. like, how are we, how are we even bringing that into the conversation? Like I, I still drink beers yeah. here and there, whiskey once in a while, but it's like, I have a pretty rough history with alcohol. Okay. Um, and I don't want anybody to stop drinking alcohol. I, you know, I don't care. It's healthier if you do, but it's your decision to do that. Um, some people yeah. think it's amazing. Um, it's nice to get the fun before the hangover. Right. Whereas like ayahuasca, it's all just like hangover and then nice at the end. <laughs> Not necessarily true, but kind of like you got to put in this hard effort window and then you can have a nice time at the end when stuff's kind of like resolved and you're feeling great. Right. But, you know, I don't think government has ever done a good job telling us what we can and can't do. Um, you know, why is prostitution illegal? That causes tons of harm. Right. What if we spent those resources on the drug war and the sex trade war to reduce harm and provide treatment as opposed to funding cops that, like, kill people, you know, I, or, like, yeah. sex workers? How about we fund breaking down, like, human trafficking as opposed to trying to fight hookers right you know i like guess there's teenage my... people and children being trafficked as property and we could easily stop that if we put more resources on it 
right. ahead. No, I was just going to say, my question was more like, there's a psychological reason why this is going on. And if you don't fix the root, you're not going to fix the problem. So even if you throw all this extra money at this stuff, there's a bigger issue, whether it's mental health, whether it's people just not having resources or whatever the case may be. There's people that are doing these horrible drugs that maybe know that they're horrible because they don't care. So there's some psychological underlying reason why I think people are doing this stuff. I guess that was what my question was, is how do we tackle that as opposed to just trying to put a Band-Aid on it? I don't think there's a simple answer for that. I don't that. think there is either, but I was just curious on well, what his take so was on. Let's, let's try. So I don't think there's horrible drugs. Like, I think people can skillfully use crack. I think people, like, meth can be a prescription drug. You can get it prescribed to you. Um, cocaine largely was a, a prescription drug for a long time. Crack is a, nearly identical to cocaine, just a slightly different route of administration, um, plus baking soda or whatever. So I don't think there's horrible drugs. And I think people should be allowed to do this stuff if they want to. Um, like, they could theoretically make fair trade cocaine that doesn't involve tons of human suffering in the supply chain. Uh, but because of the drug war, they haven't been able to build out that infrastructure. Um, so cocaine is really super destructive on the rainforest. But um, so <clears throat> my answer is providing treatment. Like people can make adult decisions. Like if you want to try heroin, totally fine. I probably don't think it's the best idea, but if you want to try it, great here's all the resources that we have as a culture to keep you safe. Like I think one of the very first supervised injection sites just opened in the United States. I forget where it is exactly, but I, I think that's a big step forward. So people can go and actually not overdose, get a clean needle, no more AIDS circulating like crazy and needle using populations. And, um, and I don't know, like, so where come back at me, like, let me know where I, I fell off going in the direction of answering what you're talking about. No, I, okay, so I, I, I get that we need to do better around these people and provide resources and different things, but at some point it has to be taught that this is not a, a productive way to live your life, obviously. I mean... I'm not, and I'm oh, not coming. At, I'm okay. not. I'm not coming at it from like a demonizing way. I'm saying, how do we teach people that? Yeah, okay, you could do this, but it's not the best option by far. Who wants to become so two, an addict, living, you know, homeless <laughs> on the streets? I don't think anybody does. Um, so a lot of people in Switzerland who are heroin users can maintain a full family life and a full career and maintain a heroin addiction for decades. Um, so it's more about a cultural container and a stigma. So once there's a stigma, so you found out somebody was smoking meth, you're going to, as a result of like drug war propaganda, you're going to have a really weird reaction to that person. You're like, I don't know that I trust you. You're going to steal my wallet. Whereas if we just say you're a drug user, just like most of humanity is a drug user, um, that stigma comes down and they become less of an outsider so they can build connection. Alienation is the real cause here. Hmm. So we've become alienated from ourselves, the earth, friends, culture, because of everything getting mediated for us through, through some kind of weird built environment slash media, uh, monolithic media infrastructure. 
that just helps perpetuate disconnection. And disconnection and alienation are the real causes here of these behaviors that I think you're talking about. Um, and also, like, this 2009 study by Dr. David Nutt in the UK that I probably talked about last time around put alcohol as the most harmful drug oh, out I of, like, yeah. 12 or 19 drugs I, that were discussed. I don't disagree that at all. So, so what I would hope to see happen is people would get better with connection over time because the stigma went away. Um, like if you look back in the nineties, people smoking weed, the kind of stigma you would get, mm -hmm. it's kind of insane or it's totally insane. And now there's still kind of an insane relationship to like so social stigma and, uh, and smoke pot, but not as bad as it was before mm -hmm. that, that same stigma, but worse is happening. Like you're essentially the devil because you shot heroin or like smoked meth or something. You're automatically a bad person. The author Johan Hari, in his book *Chasing the Scream*, talked about taking his, I think, I think it was a guy, his, his boyfriend, um, who was a heroin user, to say, "Hey, like you live here now, like you're gonna live here. I'm gonna supply you heroin. I'm gonna feed you, and I just don't want you running around the streets, robbing people f to make money to buy your heroin, mm -hmm. or sleeping on the street. I want you here. I know you're gonna be safe here." Heroin really isn't that harmful if you do it skillfully and you've got decent, a decent supply. Like it just kind of caused. Well, you can have a lot of problems if you're using dirty needles, like right. infection and whatnot, and you know vein damage. But I, I but think what I'm trying to get is there a difference? Is there a difference between? And I get what you're saying, and I, I don't disagree with anything you just said. But I think that there's this weird dichotomy too, where it's like when you take psychedelics you want to do better. You come off a mushroom trip. I got to get my life in order. I got to get my shit together. And some of these other drugs are like, I'm going to go rob somebody to continue my fix. Like what you're saying. So I'm just, mm -hmm. as much as I'm, I'm on the same page as you, let's not demonize anybody. People make mistakes. Mm -hmm. People get hooked up in things that they can't get out of sometimes. And it becomes like a, a, a downfall, but, and I'm not saying that there's bad drugs like what you're saying either. Cause it's up to the person mm -hmm. who's taking it. So that's what my brings back to my whole point of the response, the personal responsibility of the person involved to make better decisions, I guess is what it would come down <clears> to <throat> in my opinion. So in Portugal, they have this system where it says, okay, you got busted with drugs. You have to come to this kind of medical court where you can voluntarily enter a sobriety program or treatment program. So like you get caught with drugs somewhere on the street and you have too much. And then they can say, okay, do you want treatment or not? Like we can't force people into treatment mm -hmm. and, and rehab rehab's not perfect. Rehab's kind of the best thing we've got, but it's pretty rough um, and super expensive. So, you know, if somebody wanted to get clean and they wanted appropriate support, it's not exactly available to the degree it really should be in the U S it's really a total vacuum of treatment options. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I think people know that they don't want to be robbing from folks, oh, putting for themselves sure. at jail risk. Mm -hmm. And they just got caught in this cycle because of stigma and alienation. And, you know, like their family won't talk to them anymore because they try to borrow a hundred bucks too many times. Right. Like meth users can be pretty productive. I knew a lot of uh, folks who were users way back and they did a lot. Um, and most addiction self-resolves, even without treatment, um, according to Dr. Carl Hart, who's a really interesting mm -hmm. um, drug researcher at Columbia University, um, psychologist. And it's a you know it's a tough problem, man. Like how do we how do we educate 
users of drugs that some of us deem as like less perfect than others. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm just looking at the effects, you know? Yeah. I'm just looking at the purely the effects that it has on somebody's psychology and Mm -hmm. you don't see somebody just eating mushrooms living on, on the side of the freeway. I mean, maybe there are some, but I mean, it's, it's more those in Boulder, Colorado. Oh, you do. Okay. Um, but kind of a joke, kind of not. Right. Right. right, right. But I've just been to Portland, bro. I'm not trying to to play devil's advocate, but I'm just trying to let's brainstorm here because I think that there that look in a perfect world, we would all be happy. We would all, you know, have houses, money, this, that, and the other, but that's not the way that this thing's set up. So I think that when you have all these systems in place, there are going to be people left high and dry. And obviously you guys are trying to do the best you can to fix that. There's a lot of other people in the psychedelic community doing that. And there's a lot of people not in the psychedelic community trying to do that as well. So I think that that's all great. We need to continue that. I'm just trying to look at it from purely like a psychological philosophical standpoint of how can we fix this, the, the, the root of this and not just the symptoms, if that makes sense. And I think that maybe that's, yeah, yeah. What do you think the root is? I think that from somebody that has mental illness, I think that that's a huge part of it. So we need better treatment facilities for people that do have issues to maybe curb these things before they even happen. And again, I'm not demonizing if somebody does this or does that or takes this drug or that drug, whatever. That's besides the point. My point is that we need to get them help so they can make better decisions before it even gets there is what I would say. Um, that's for people with mental health. Now I assume that there's a small part of the population that also does it cause maybe they were doing other things and it led to one thing led to another. And maybe they're not hanging around the best people that influence them or something along those lines. And they get caught up in that. Another one would be the opioid crisis. Obviously that's had a huge, um, impact on this whole thing. Um, but so, the opioid thing we talked a little bit about before, and you made some good points when you were talking about Portugal and Switzerland and stuff. So I think that that should definitely be looked at more. Um, but yeah, that would, that's just my take. And I think it's fixing, you're not going to fix people with mental health, but you can get them treatment. You can give them options. And I think if people had better options that they would make less poor decisions. And I, that's just my opinion. I think psychoeducation needs to come a long way. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't really, I think science and, like, um, psychology in general has reached the point where we can help people understand themselves a lot better. Like, we want to go all the way back to Socrates, know thyself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, if we just start there, like that's pretty good. That's a lot better than what we've got today. And we don't do not have that in the schools. Like, we get taught trigonometry, but not how to do our taxes, you know. Mm-hmm. And then here we go, freaking bananas come tax time. And like we don't teach philosophy in school. We don't really teach any kind of method of building connection um, to folks. And the way our culture is designed is to really, it seems like, to maximize isolation, to maximize alienation from self and others and the earth and all that. Um, Especially, you know, we're in cars all the time. We're going to jobs we usually hate. um, And dealing with people we don't like at all and trying to impress people we don't like at all, which is ridiculous. Um, Do they have any programs in Switzerland, like in the schools, introducing kids to drugs and 
That's a not great in question. a positive way. Know. I'm just curious. Um, I really don't know. It's a really great question. Um, I would imagine, yes, Switzerland is spending money on drug harm reduction. number of countries are. Um, like, I think just giving people factual information is a good start. Um, right. Like, for instance, I, I was told in middle school when I was in my D.A.R.E. program that PCP was the worst thing in the world. <laughs> and it turns out it's a very help. It can be a very helpful and interesting psychedelic compound. It's a uh -huh. derivative related very closely to ketamine um, and is very powerful, very underutilized and under-researched. Um, yeah, who's that guy from the process church that was on Hamilton's <laughs> pharmacopoeia. That's, he's like the, this Hamilton was like, this is the only guy that I know. Wizard. Yeah. He had a positive experience on it. <laughs> Some people love it. Like Steve-O from Jackass was using it constantly. <laughs> oh yeah. I think they opened right. up that, that episode with Steve-O calling like Johnny Knoxville. Hey, advice is here to talk about PCP and Knoxville just starts laughing. Um, <laughs> yeah. Cause Steve-O probably hurt himself a lot on it. Partly because there what truthful data was really shared with the public on PCP mm -hmm. more so than manipulating middle schoolers to think it's the worst, you know, or I can take 20 bullets and still attack a cop and take them out, you know, right. Right. Um, that's the real myth that was perpetuated. Dr. Carl Hart at horizons, 20, 2019 October showed a video of a PCP user, somebody high on PCP walking away from a police car walking and the cop, I think, shot him directly in the back, killed him um, because he was on PCP and too dangerous to even talk to. Um, and he showed this to a packed theater in New York City, mostly of white people, because Dr. Carl Hart's black and wanted to talk about like racial inequality and whatnot. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> but yeah, like there's fascinating things that we could be teaching folks that we don't. Like the fact that all of psychedelic history is not really present in public schools and barely present in our university system is horrific. It's probably one of the most interesting things in psychology that's ever happened is getting psychedelics into, into labs. So we can really, you know, research what these things are, what they do, how they do it, et cetera. What is mind? You know, a lot of really fundamental questions. Sure. Um, finally can be answered now that our kind of like decades long embargo of research, um, is over essentially for sure well, let's yeah. let's pivot here to some some lighter sure. lighter notes here i think that was great information and i think that cool. uh um you brought up some good points and we'll just as a society just have to keep on chipping away at those until we get it to where everybody's starting to you know get it together a little bit more but um what, well, things are turning around, you know. Yeah. It's, 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 it's actually happening, so the numbers don't lie. If 83% of people are getting off opioids with the help of some psilocybin or MDMA, then you can't argue with that. People that smoke cigarettes and alcoholics, too. I mean, exactly. there's, there's a whole range, but... Um, people should just watch Hamilton's Pharmacopoeia. Yeah, That's all. yeah that. that should just be implemented <laughs> in all schools. It's, it's actually my favorite show on the subject. I mean, he goes... He, dives deep into the shamanic stuff and then he goes all the way to the hard science stuff. It's a whole good range of what's going on for sure. Um, what's, what do you, what's the latest research when it comes to um, psychedelic realms and like what's, what people are experiencing in psychedelic realms, whether it be the DMT entities or entities or um, is there anything new or um, 
you know, any research being done on that? Really interesting. So largely the research that's happening right now in labs, controlled research is clinical in mm -hmm. focus. And it's more about <coughs> results in terms of like addiction or treating sure. OCD or whatever it is. And um, not so much about like the subjective reports. Um, subjective reports are sometimes included in some of the research papers, but psychology, like hard psychology with, you know, numbers, statistics, et cetera, it doesn't really know what to do with subjective experiences like that. And that's kind of where like humanistic psychology and transpersonal psychology comes into play. Like, let's figure out how to like dig into these wild human experiences that don't necessarily seem congruent with our normal mechanistic worldview, mm -hmm. you know, like pinball A has pinball B and that's how the world works kind of thing. It's like potentially a lot more nuanced and complicated than that. Um, the most interesting project that's not necessarily off the ground yet is the extended state DMT project mm -hmm. that uh, Daniel McQueen and others are looking at. Um, I'm supposed to talk to him in the next week or two and learn more, but they're, they're changing their business model. I think they're going to do some sort of co-op business mm. uh, where everybody can have a stake in it. Because you're you're potentially injecting DMT for hours sure. in a really wild anesthesia pump machine, so you could be in that state for realistically months if you had the right kind of assistance. Yeah, um, what happens had, to the human mind after that? I don't know. Go ahead. We had Andrew Gallimore on. Uh, right. Good. A, a, few, a while back, we actually have Rick Strassman coming on this next week Excellent. too. Um, but yeah, I know that um, that's something that they've been dabbling with, and obviously, Andrew's book, uh, Alien Information Theory dives deep into that whole subject but i was just curious if there was any actual research going on or if it's just some sort of more of an esoteric aspect of the subject still unfortunately it's a little esoteric dr stan groff the originator of holotropic breathwork co-originator and longtime lsd um psychiatrist has a lot to say on this topic mm -hmm. of like uh okay this impossible thing happened what does that mean how do how do we potentially replicate lots of impossible things mm -hmm. in given our current, you know, worldview impossible, not that it's actually impossible. So like people come back with really weird memories, um, you know, pot potentially real past lives or channel dead languages that have been, you know, maybe two scholars in the world are working on them, right. you know, and just they're like <laughs> spewing this stuff in a trance state. Um, so he kind of catalogs a lot of that. His book, When the Impossible Happens, covers a lot of these stories. I mean, I think that's a really excellent place to start. But DMTX, the extended state DMT stuff that the DMTX group is going to do is largely around what is this? It's not really clinical in nature. It's not like let's heal somebody smoking you know, addiction mm -hmm. to cigarettes. Let's go like what happens when we can be in the DMT space, pure DMT space, not ayahuasca, for you know, a couple you know, a couple hours as opposed to 15 minutes. Right. Like what happens when we learn how to swim here? And that's kind of Dr. Gallimore's point. Like once we can fully operate well in that space, something interesting could happen. Hmm. He, he takes a little in a weird direction for me. Like I don't go as far as Dr. Gallimore. Right. Cause he's like, once we, once we get it, our physical body dies and we become alive as like, uh, gods of some sort, information entities with oh, yeah. no real map. Yeah. You had um, a, you had a debate on, on, check out uh people check out uh their channel because they have an interesting debate with andrew gallimore and um uh peter um so is that how you pronounce it 
<laughs> Peter Schwarzstead Hughes. Schwarzstead Peter Hughes. S.H. Okay. Yeah. And, and they go back and forth, and uh, Peter is a philosopher, and Andrew, obviously, is a... Um, uh, com- What's the uh, title? Yeah, it's Computational like, neurobiologist. Yep, that's exactly it. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's it's. But you know, you got to get your credentials out there too, because you got to start, you know, moving the research along. You know, you can't have this. Yeah, he stigma. has a theory, and he wants to stand behind it as <laughs> yeah. well. So you know, um, and he does great work and uh, using the automatons and all that kind of stuff. So, um, but yeah, yeah he, he he invokes some interesting things like quantum entanglement as a possible explanation for some of this information transfer and um, some of those things, but. Um, yeah, I was just curious again if there was anything actually being researched with that, or if that's just still. And it would, that seems to be the case where not many. In the clinical sense, not really. Yeah. One of the more interesting projects that's been going for a long time. I think it's at the website DMT Nexus, maybe. Where they I would have think kind of Jungians. Like shared turn. Yeah, Jungians, and I would think Jungians and psychologists and stuff would be really interested in that. Scott but... Hill, Encounters with the Shadow. Doctor yeah. Scott Hill is kind of like a. Uh, legendary i'm trying to find the book here um i guess i can look it up online but he he wrote a book encounters with the shadow where he's talking about jungian psychology meeting psychedelics and like how do we you know (laughs) given jungian theory how do we interact with psychedelic experiences um and i think he's done a lot of work on this um for that book in particular um he's contributing to a class we're putting together um i think he contributed uh, on shadow aspects of psychedelia. Mm-hmm. Um, Kyle and I on our show talk a lot about like anomalous experiences and how do we relate to that. Like Kyle, Kyle's experience with like dying from bleeding out on a snowboard accident, how that related to DMT entities that he experienced in breathwork, DMT states, and mushroom states. Like why were those things also in his like near death experience when he bled out in a hospital table? Yeah, that's interesting. So there's big questions. Um, I think this philosopher, Alfred North Whitehead, he's kind of a the, the foundation of what's called process philosophy, comes out of like a post-materialist um, worldview where we start with fundamental building blocks of reality being experience as opposed to atoms or subatomic particles mm-hmm. and energy. It's more like experience. And if you're familiar with the concept of like Spinoza's monads, it's kind of like that. Yeah. But windows so you can see inside the monads right and the monads are every present moment inherits all past moments so we are the inheritors of a very our inheritance is very big it's all of the past and all of this stuff can come up in psychedelic states and a lot of what kyle and i are doing now is studying philosophy to be able to help support the psychedelic movement as we have to deal with more and more fundamental philosophical problems that are going to come up in these sessions. For sure. Because Eric Davis is a really, really great writer out of San Francisco, says like, okay, these people who are going to be getting or providing psychedelic therapy, like maybe they come from a CBT type framework. They don't necessarily know what to do when, when quote unquote God comes into the room or a highly anomalous experience comes into the room. Um, And that's going to, continue happening and really challenge people's worldviews and how do we deal with that i don't know like talking trying to figure it out together and not just saying okay that experience didn't really mean anything it was purely a hallucination not a not a meaningful experience for the person um i have problems with the term hallucination it just doesn't seem right to me um given 
that a lot of these experiences yeah. can be really healing. You no, know? you guys think that? Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was gonna say, do you guys think that we'll ever know? As you know, it might just be an unknown thing. Like, why are we here? And the more that we look into it, the more answer or the more questions kind of start coming out. Our language is highly inadequate for the task. Um, this guy, Alfred North Whitehead, said something along the lines of, I'm a human experiencing reality, trying to take it back inside and put this all down in a logically consistent fashion. Um, it took a lot of books, but I think he finally got it. But the, our English language really doesn't do it. Like this idea of something is something, like it is raining. Like that's highly logically um, problematic. It's what is what is yeah. the is, um, and it's always changing. It's a flow. Like the table is brown is a lot easier, but you'd have to like parse that out into like a lot of different little things about you know neurological processing and light optics, etc. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot to uh, <laughs> unpack for sure. But I think that's great that you guys are delving deep into the psych. Um, uh, philosophy and philosophical side of this uh, subject because I think that that might yield more answers at least might jump ahead a few steps in some cases um, and also what you were just mentioning I mean we still don't even know what consciousness is it's called the hard problem of consciousness for, for yeah. a reason and number two I keep telling people this like okay so we govern what we know by our conscious our consciousness is how we know what we know it's language it's words it's reaction it's awareness it's everything so if consciousness is a byproduct of brain function, then what we're judging everything on is just a byproduct of a process we have no, no knowledge of. So it's almost kind of cancels each other out. So that's why I'm not convinced that our material brain is creating this effect, if you will, or whatever the case may be. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, obviously the brain is important for doing mathematics and you know getting dressed um you sever the corpus callosum you're gonna have like whatever right. like you're gonna only really be able to see the stuff on the right side of the brain <laughs> right side of the body right. and that's a pretty weird thing so there's obvious like things that happen from the brain but there's the more interesting is probably yeah like what is mind um my new line is the mind is at the very least diffused throughout the whole body mm. at the very least um i tend to think it's beyond the body beyond the brain Right. Um, and we've got some good data on that from Groff, Wilder Penfield, um, Michael Talbot's book, The Holographic Universe, does a really good job with that, kind of doing a survey of different researchers that are kind of paradigm busting. Yeah. We've had yeah. Um, uh, Jude Curavan, who wrote The uh, Cosmic Hologram, and mm. uh, that one's pretty interesting as well. Uh, what was the last name again? Kuravan. She's a PhD um, in um, uh, cosmology, and I think she has a degree in archaeology too. So she knows about like ancient civilizations and um, some of the more metaphysical theories out there. But um, yeah, it, it, it's just I, I think that to Maurice's point, I think that we are all searching for these answers, and I don't think they're going to be answered, obviously, in our lifetime. But isn't that what this is? We got to keep this hamster wheel moving so the next people can continue this tradition so that's kind of my philosophy on all uh, basically all of life right now is that we're not going to get the answers we're not going to get 
but we might have these personal moments of enlightenment and personal spiritual moments, but the goal is to keep this thing rolling so that the next people come along can continue this. Right. Well, I think awareness is very important because a lot of people just think that what they see day to day is just all there is. So at least even if we don't have the answers to support some of this stuff, at least we're bringing awareness to these, to these concepts, these ideas. And I, you know, I, I think, I think psychedelics have a big role in that. Sure. Psychedelics are to the mind what the microscope is to biology and the telescope is to astronomy. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. kind of like a paraphrase. I think of Alan Watts maybe. Yeah. But it's, uh, yeah, it's an interesting time to be alive because yeah, like it doesn't seem clear that we're going to get firm answers. And even this Alfred North Whitehead stuff, it's speculative philosophy. It's not right. linguistic analysis. It's not logic. It's not a, you know, a lot of the human tradition, human philosophical tradition. It's, purely speculative what do you think about like uh thomas kuhn and the in the philosophy of science and the idea of yeah. like paradigm shifts and all that i mean i i hold that to be the most true thing because no matter where you look in history things have been completely wrong or altered a hundred years a thousand years it's this cycle that happens that we're going to be wrong now what we're talking about might sound profound in, in certain spots and great in other spots but we're going to look like idiots a thousand years from now so what do you think about that? I think it's huge. I think it's really huge. Like, uh, and you, to your point, like, if you looked at the way somebody was talking about electricity in the early 1900s, mm-hmm. it's insane relative to what we know now. Right. Um, you know, it's beautiful because they're so enamored with it, but it's also just like so pragmatic and you know normalized here in our current day. Um, uh-huh. And the same thing will happen with psychedelic states, I think, and the concept of transpersonal psychology, kind of. Or, you know, we might want to call it integral psychology. I don't really know yet. Um, but transpersonal psychology is really paradigm busting. And the idea is that all human experience needs to be taken into account. And if your experience doesn't fit into the framework, the current paradigm, like your experience was wrong somehow. And right. Your experience had no value. Whereas, you know, there's some really interesting shit happening on the fringes. Like edge cases can be super interesting and help us kind of paradigm bust and like a lot of the attention in psychology is going into like neuroimaging trying to find consciousness in the brain just you know kind of fool's errand because it's again at the very least throughout the body but um and just really hard behavioral data you know brain imaging and all uh but more like neurofeedback and brain maps and all this other stuff like there's There's a limit to how far that can go in terms of defining mind and consciousness. Um, and we have top minds working on philosophy of mind, mm-hmm. which is a, not an easy topic. <laughs> and uh, the fact that psychologists aren't necessarily, you know, checking out philosophy of mind could mean that they're not taking into account very important um, assumptions. You know, they're not aware of their own assumptions in a lot of cases. Um, because they're kind of steeped in this dogmatic tradition of like material, material, material. Do you think we have like a, a Kant or a, a Descartes or a Socrates or a Plato out there right now? And we just don't know it because we're in it. Or <laughs> do, what do you think? Do you think that that's something that just comes around like once in a blue moon? <sighs> Robert Anton Wilson a while back had this line. Um, I believe that now we have more Buddhas on earth than have ever existed. <laughs> In, in human history, 
Um, we've got food, we've got shelter, we've got clothes, and we've got lots of people. Mm-hmm. So like the, the math is just there. Sure. So there's probably tons of these people. I think Groff is going to be marked down as like the next Freud. It'll be like Freud, Groff, and Jung mm. as like this kind of <laughs> the future Holy Trinity whenever psychology chooses to take that in. And in terms of like a Socrates or a Plato, um, there's so many people I really like. Um, this one gentleman, Ramez Nam, is an unbelievable former Microsoft engineer, great, great writer, wrote some awesome sci-fi, and also is super active in terms of um, you know climate policy and and a lot of other interesting stuff. What in terms of so going through CBT and stuff myself, I think that you could integrate some of these things with the CBT. And I think that that's helpful. Yeah. I, th- I think that there's this misconception that you take something and then you're going to feel better. And, and it's a lot more complicated than that. You have to no. do work on yourself. Put the work in, yeah. yeah. You definitely have to, totally. to, um, uh, put it all out there but well, that's the thing you got to confront some of this stuff a lot of people like to bury it and me included <laughs> but going back to why people do drugs i think a lot of this stuff comes from the childhood and not accepting problems that have developed when you were a kid and then that just snowballs and again as an adult you can find yourself getting caught up in tv movies or doing podcasts or anything just to keep layering on top of that and until you dive deep, I, I, I think the psychedelics can help you get there until you dive deep and, you know, confront some of this stuff, which may be scary and may be quite painful for months. But until you do that, you're never going to be fully healed. Psychology, like any good therapist should be kind of somewhat syncretic, should be pulling from a lot of different traditions, pulling in tools from all over. And CBT is just one of many tools. CBT is kind of the tool with the best data behind it. That's why it's so well-funded and researched. It's like really straightforward doing the research on it. But in, um, And in, it's in, been shown to be pretty effective. In some regard, too, I just want to point out that maybe traditional SSRIs work for some people or help some people with therapy or people that are taking medicine. Obviously, do whatever works for you. But for me personally, I was resistant to a lot of those things, and my OCD was really bad, like probably way worse than a lot of people you've seen even on like some of those TV programs. So, um, but this idea that, um, I personally now do not take any medication. Um, and just talking these things out, it's almost like the, this is the way I look at my OCD is my thinking patterns in my brain became this big ball of yarn. And through CBT, I've slowly started to unwind this twine and pull it back and then feed it through here. And then pretty soon you're, you've got a, a little bit of a, um, some length going on with that, that yarn and you can actually start to think and get some breathing room. So that's the way I look at it. I don't know the science enough to say that, Oh, there's a serotonin, um, uh, deficiency. Yeah, deficiency, or you've got too much or whatever the case may, you know, it's off your brain chemistry is off. I don't know enough about that in, in myself, but I just know what's worked and, um, and through CBT and talking about it and um, holding yourself accountable too is important with these these issues too. You, you can go poor me all day long, but I think you have to take a step back and say, how am I going to get out of this and be a little bit tougher on yourself about it as well? 
So. Mm, yeah. Well, it's an interesting analogy. I like that ball of yarn analogy. Um, yeah. So how do we, how do we go forward? It's really if people want to, you know, help, they could either, you know, go to grad school and just like track a path to become a psychedelic therapist or researcher. Um, but you know, people with current career sets, they could just help other people in the field uh, become, you know, have more sustainable organizations, both nonprofit and for-profit, mm. you know, graphic designers, accountants, lawyers, um, copywriters, et cetera. Like there's so many people putting their life on the line, you know, in some ways me included, um, you know, thankfully I'm a you know white person in America, so I'm less profiled than others. So I'm like more comfortable going out on a limb than others might be. I... So that said, I have to, I've had to really change my behaviors, um, so that I would, you know, not necessarily go to jail for a long time, mm. um, while doing this project. So there's a lot of people like us too, like Kyle and I, who are way out on the limb, trying their best to help people, education and facilitation and more community building, et cetera. Um, and it's, you know, their careers are on the line. If they're, if they're literally breaking the law, they can go to jail for a long time. Um, so just stuff to consider. Like no, Ross Ulbrich is still in prison and he just had a website. We really appreciate obviously what you're doing and there. We, I think yeah. you need this whole community. You need people to do that. You need people to talk about these things. You need, yeah. uh, we're trying to do our part by just giving people a platform to talk about these subjects and, um, whether it be the mystical sacred aspects of it or the hard science or just getting information out there and letting people decide what's what and, um, hopefully we'll start to see some of the uh, changes and protocols and the way that these things are discussed and approached. And, um, you know, for me, you mentioned before, you don't like the word hallucinogen or hallucinogenics or something like that. I think that that's kind of, <coughs> in, so, in some circles, whether it, the, even UFO, people hate in the UFO community, some, some of them, you say UFO. They want you to say UAP or something along those lines where um, it's, sound, it's taking the stigma away from it. So I, I get that. Um, my, well, and UFO is too general. Right. Exactly. It could be a- anything. Um, but I guess for yeah. me, it's it's one of those things where it's hard. It's just part been part of the vernacular for so long that it's like, how do, how do I change? You know, I don't say hallucinogens. I've always pretty much said psychedelics or called... I even call mushroom psilocybin. I don't call them shrooms or whatever, you know? So, um, I think that that's part of it too. Um, but I don't, I'm not hard on people that use term as long as they're talking about it in a positive light. I don't really care. You know, same thing with like UFOs right. as long as people are like, you're crazy or whatever. Oh, are we crazy? Cause the government's looking into it. So if, if everybody's crazy, <laughs> then, you know, um, but so I just wanted to end on a light note. Any, have you been to any fish shows since we talked? I think we talked uh, five, six months ago. It might have been November, maybe, if I recall. No, my last one would have been the Fish uh, Dicks Run in Denver, um, Commerce City. Yeah, how nice. was that? Labor Day. Spectacular. Um, Wasn't there a the, really good time? The plague was going around. Oh, yeah. Oh, God, yeah, down <laughs> with the disease. Yeah, yeah. They, um, <laughs> there was literal plague in the groundhogs. Yeah. Prairie dogs all over the place. Prairie dog plague. Um, so, they should have wrote a song. Oh man, they essentially did. I, I, yeah. There was some funny stuff going on there, and it was just a wildly different. Um, up in 
that was maybe my fourth time going in a row. Okay. Year after year, and it was just really different because people parked all of different spots, and like the shakedown kind of scenario is like wildly different. Potentially better, but wildly different. Right. It's cool though. Um, hoping all this BS is cleared, and I get to go to Las Vegas for their Las Vegas run. Nice. I've got tickets to go see the Gorge Amphitheater this summer. That's a beautiful. Hopefully that happens. <laughs> yeah. I can't wait. There's not um, a better view than that. <laughs> Yeah, apparently it's like tied in a lot of people's opinions with Red Rocks for the most beautiful venue. Yeah, but Red Rocks is too small for fish, so right. Yeah, I think they've been banned from there too yeah. for since like '94 or something. Someone died, and yeah, yeah. I don't know if they're still banned, but we haven't been to as many shows lately. Actually, and I'm speaking for Maurice. I think was your last show the one with me in Chicago in 2017? I think. Yeah. Yep. I mean, we saw them a lot. When high school and college, I mean, we were at It Festival in Maine, which was amazing. I'm pissed that they can never do another. I think that they developed that land where that air base was on or whatever, um, or something along those lines. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, I've never been out west, but I would love to see one at, like, Dick's or or the Gorge. Uh, All of our shows have been in, like, the Midwest and um, the East. Yeah, I have two buddies that go to Dick's every year. They love it. They say it's the bomb. It's, um... I think I like Vegas more for fish mm. than Dix, but Dix is still spectacular. Like I've been to a few other venues and it's not it's not the same. Like where have I been? Like some arena in Portland, Maine, um, Fenway Park, Boston, Merriweather oh, Post cool. Pavilion in Maryland. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't compare to the Vegas experience or to the uh, the Dix experience. Is it outside in Vegas? Uh, it's inside. Okay. But you can go right outside. It's pretty easy. Um, yeah. The whole place is crazy. It's just like such an abstraction. <laughs> it's right. so alienating that it becomes kind of like cartoon land after a bit. Um, they just, alienating from nature and nor- normal reality. They just canceled the Oysterhead stuff too. Um, we were actually fortunate enough to see Oysterhead the first time when we were in high nice. school. And uh, that was pretty pretty interesting to say the least. But yeah, there's. Um, what do you think that is? What's the connection between fish and the grateful dead and just jam bands in general i mean we're musician maurice and i and we grew up playing these stuff trey's my main influence on guitar mm-hmm. we've gone to tons of shows uh but we're also into psychedelics and it seems like there's a lot of people there that are obviously on the same page to anybody that doesn't really know what's going on at these things what do you think that is do you think it's the uncertainty of the music with all this tension and release and that's kind of what's happening within the trip or um, do you think that it, it speaks to maybe some of the more like esoteric lyrics and like ideas that are being spoken about or what do you think's going on there? It's an amalgamation for sure of all that. Yeah. Um, yeah. there's something interesting about, um, you know, a master musician then beginning to take, you know, psychedelics with some regularity, you know, before or after playing it music is so interesting music theory is so interesting that it can just like expand and generate new ideas mm-hmm. um and that to me is one of the more exciting things about psychedelics is like creativity and creative problem solving and producing art like some of the psychedelic artists now are unbelievable but mm-hmm. yeah there's something interesting about jerry and the dead it was like really melodramatic at times like um he had this immense sadness about the human condition mm-hmm. that he brought uh-huh. into his music and performances. And it was like, he was by playing the guitar, almost crying for us and with us 
about the human condition. Um, And I think that was kind of coming from the soul music tradition. Like Jerry loved African-American music, like Mm -hmm. jug bands and like soul. Um, And he's amazing. Um, He started off in a jug band way back in the day. Yeah, right. Actually, I have a a poster. It's the uh, something mountain tub thumpers. I have the poster. (laughs) Um, Blue mountains. I don't know. I'd have to look at it but yeah uh, i think i think the i think the improvisation has a lot to do with it too when you're there in the moment then everybody can kind of have this collective consciousness and kind of feed off of like you were saying the moment i think that has a lot to do with just goes hand in hand with you know smoking pot or (laughs) any kind of psychedelic substance here's an idea um so a lot of standard bands like mass market bands will have one set and they play that set at every show and they have it super choreographed, super tight. <laughs> There's no room for improvisation or anything like that. Uh-huh. Um, like even LCD sound system, which you would expect to be a decent band for like, you know, a three night run. They play the same exact set three nights in a row at Red Rocks. And, uh, you know, for a fan that has to be super disappointing. Same jokes. That's, at the that's same a spot. shame. And what a jam band can do is, you know, you're doing improv with your bandmates, your band members, but you're also doing improv with the audience. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're if you're skillful enough to be able to figure out how to include them, so like you're you're kind of like watching their mood, and you can like build these super big waves, and then just like explode it in excitement and bliss at the top of a wave, and then kind of like slowly chill, and then do it again, even bigger. So I've been DJing a little bit lately, and um, it's been really fun to kind of learn about that art and how it's it's not necessarily about the music. It's about like playing with the psychology of the individuals in the room and trying to help them have a great time. Um, and I think there's something similar to like DJing and that they're actually watching the audience and interacting with the audience. Trey calls it playing his garden in one of his books um you're all my garden let's you know see if we can make the flowers dance right and he does they do yeah oh yeah there's Um, this guy going viral right now on youtube that he's reacting to guitar and or i mean he's a guitar teacher that's reacting to fish and great i don't have you seen this guy it advertised it to me i haven't clicked it yet okay it's pretty good in the sense interesting it's it's, it's fun watching somebody watch fish or grateful dead for the first time so like yeah. that that's the aspect of it that I enjoy most. It's not the fact that this guy is trying to noodle and figure it out, but he's in awe of what these amazing musicians are doing and why he's probably never heard of it or they're not talked about as much and um even though Fish has 80,000 people going to music festivals or they have 13 nights in a row sold out at Madison Square Garden, there's still <laughs> a ton of people where I mention Fish like what are you talking about? So um and and that's fine. I, I don't, you know, it is what it is, but uh, it's interesting to to say the least that that's the case with um, actually a majority of these bands. But you mentioned something about Jerry with sadness. Um, talk about somebody living efficiently on heroin. I mean, he, how many years was he smoking what was called Persia, where it was a combination of heroin and cocaine. And I think the guy that got him hooked on it was uh, his bass player, John, from the Jerry Garcia band is the one that kind of did that in a little bit. Because before that, I think he was primarily just a psychedelic guy, maybe some coke here and there or something like that. But uh, from what I understand, that was the case. But yeah, he lit. I mean, how? I mean, you read the do- or um, 
the uh, biography, Maurice, how, how long did he do that stuff for? Do you remember? I think it started maybe in the early 80s, but yeah, he had a he had a rough circumstance because at one point people started looking to him as a god. They were going to the shows to find spiritual awakening, and that's a lot to put on somebody. So I, I can't blame the guy for indulging in something that would you know kind of take him away from the reality of what they've created because there's no escape at that point unless you just quit and then then you have the burden of letting people down so i i, I it's hard to put yourself into that in a, to a situation like that but mm. yeah that's uh that's a noodle scratcher <laughs> there's a great kind of speculative fiction movie that came out called uh yesterday maybe it was about this um only a handful of people like something happened and everybody forgot about the Beatles and he remembered right. everything. Oh, he's yeah, a great yeah, singer songwriter. Um, there's a line in there <clears throat> about, um, are you ready to accept this poison pill of fame and money? Mm. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh man, you know, it's totally true. We're not really equipped to, you know, become rich and famous, especially at the same time. Our psychology isn't there. Like, if you look at like royalty, royalty can kind of like groom you for that. Mm-hmm. Doesn't necessarily go perfect, and you're gonna have a lot of problems anyway. But at least they have like succession planning. Like you're gonna have a lot of money, and everybody's gonna know about you, and they're gonna have opinions that you might like, or you might not like, or look to you for answers like that. Mm-hmm. Um, like not that long ago, I was having some struggles because people were coming to me with like psychedelic sexual abuse reports pretty regularly which is pretty common out there um mm-hmm. and it was like really troubling to me that i somehow inherited kind of like i don't know some sort of law enforcement role that i was not looking for mm. and it was really really stressful to the point where i thought about like wrapping up this project it was um oh, it was really, really like the troubling. whole th- like all of psychedelics today yeah i was wow. like i'm just gonna go be a snowboard bum like i don't care anymore like i can't handle the stress Thankfully, people are coming in to support me now. I was asking for a lot of support, and I wasn't getting the kind of support I wanted or needed. Mm-hmm. Um, and finally, I found people that are there to support me, and I'm, I'm feeling a lot better about it now. I'm not alone. Good. No, that's good. Solving problems. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, every, even the people helping people need help. It's not It's the human condition. It's just what it is, unfortunately. I think at some point everybody should have talked to a psychologist or a psychiatrist just to talk to somebody like that. Because when you talk to your friends or maybe even family members, it's kind of like an echo chamber where maybe they're familiar with your problems and they're just trying to help minimize the situation where it's nice to just get away from that and tell somebody that doesn't even know you or your problems, the situation they're unbiased and just they'll give you the honest assessment of what's going on. I think that's important. So, it's huge. But, really huge. Uh, We're all descendants of successful tribes, <laughs> and the fact that we don't have tribes is a pretty big deal, especially right. in person. And you know, we're we're missing some core components that complement our DNA quite well. Um, how yeah, do we resolve that? We've got to work towards that. We've got to figure it out. Else, plenty of diseases coming at us. For sure. So uh, let's wrap it up here. Why don't you tell people where they can find your information? I mean, I have all the links below, but anything you want to plug, go ahead. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so you can find our website at psychedelicstoday.com. We've got a blog, a podcast. Uh, we're hiring writers now to write for us. 
Um, we've got a really awesome class called Navigating Psychedelics for Clinicians and Therapists coming up in May. Uh, you can find out about that at Psychedelic Education Center. Um, and people, sorry, psychedeliceducationcenter.com. You can find out more details about that, read all our testimonials. People love it. We're about another week away from wrapping up our last class. And um, it's really awesome to see folks from Australia to U.S., Canada, all over Europe joining us, you know, together in these classes and, you know, figuring out a lot of the basics around this stuff together, especially as it relates to clinical practice. Um, it's a really great course. And, you know, we've got some books on Amazon, um, Trip Journal, Psychedelic City Trip Journal and Integration Workbook. Okay. Um, those with digital copies of those available on our website as well. Um, if you want paper, it's, it's pretty good. If you're in therapy, trying to work through some crazy psychedelic stuff, these books could be pretty helpful for you. Um, yeah. So awesome. I think that's about it. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, we appreciate everything you, you've done and are doing, and um, we'll maybe have you on again sometime in the future. But, uh, I, again, thanks for coming back on for part two. I think we had a pretty productive conversation here surrounding some very difficult um you know topics and uh i thought we tried to make sense of what we could so yeah. thanks for coming on and uh for yeah for sure you can check us out at uh, patreon patreon.com slash mike and maurice for two dollars a month you'll get exclusive content interviews uh also check out our website mike and maurice mindescape.com and we're on all social media and also shout out to uh Mr. Ferretti, uh, he is one of our fans who set up our Discord account, so please go check out our Discord account if you are on Discord and you want to have uh, conversations about these topics. And uh, also shout out to Minty Farewell. Um, you upped your Patreon. We appreciate that. We love you. Thanks for listening. And that's about it. Um, so, again, thank you, Joe, and we'll catch you next time. All right. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Peace. Have a good one. Welcome back to Mike and Maurice's Mind Escape. Let us help you escape your mind. 